There are those who say that life is an illusion, and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome, and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the Godbox Cafe. It has been a hot minute since we last crossed the veils together, but I have been a very busy bee putting together videos for YouTube and preparing courses that I will make available on my Vimeo channel in the near future. Meantime, I'm bringing you a recording of an interview I did a while back that is more relevant than ever before on the teachings of Steiner in specific relation to Eurythmy. Enjoy. Welcome to the Godbox Cafe, Marc-Antoine Brodeur. Thank you. Marc-Antoine, can you please give us a bit of a background on what it was that prompted you to choose this discipline above any others with regards to how therapeutically you might be able to assist others on their personal paths? Yes, I can. To make things clear, I guess the my first connection with Eurythmy is that I love it. It's an art, first of all, just as you can have painting as an art and then it can be applied in therapy or it can be applied in education or other places. And Eurythmy as an art of movement is also in its own right an art. So that should be a clear idea. So the training that I embarked upon, a four-year training, which happens to be in England, there's others in New York and in all over Europe, actually. But the one that I'm doing is four years. Essentially, it trains you to be an artist in this realm of Eurythmy. So what we do, my connection with it is that we were able to make visible through the movements of our body, of our, moving our, our physical body on the stage, poetry and music. I don't know yet, to tell you really honestly, in myself as to how it really affects people. I've received eurythmy therapy um, before when it's applied in a medicinal sense, and I've also well, received it a lot of, as an educational tool as a child because I went to a Waldorf school, and I've also been able to teach children and adults sometimes a little bit about eurythmy. And it's difficult to know what impact it has on them, but the, my principal connection with it is that I love it as an art. It's a lot of fun. It's very challenging, as all true arts are. The main surprise for me, but which has, on the one hand, been really um, difficult to deal with, but also a real pleasure to go through, has been the experience of that the, the tool to make this art visible is actually my body. It's incredible to when we listen to a poem that is well-read, or if we read it ourselves, or if we listen to a piece of music by Bach, for example, there's all sorts of feelings and experiences we have in our soul life, whether it be images or just general feelings or sometimes thoughts or whatever. And then that has to be made visible through our bodies. Like a, a painter will use a, 
a paintbrush, that will be their tool, you know. We'll dip into the red color and put it there and then some green or what have you. But then through everything that is experienced in the soul through the poem or through the music, that I've had to learn to bring out in my body, mm. which is fun. <laughs> so uh, the short of the answer is that I love it. That's why I've gone into it. But I'm not sure yet how exactly I'll be able to apply it, you know. So that underlying passion is what drives you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely fascinating. I can tell you, having experienced it myself, and perhaps a lot of people may have only heard of Eurythmy by virtue of the band at one point. Yeah, that's uh, right. At Annie, Annie Lennox. Lennox, yeah. Oh, Eurythmy. <laughs> and that she actually went to she went to a Waldorf school in England, and I, I assume that that's where she got her band name from. <laughs> Eurythmic. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Fascinating how mm-hmm. people might now have determined what the name of the band came from. But uh-huh. this, I can say, where my own personal encounter with uh-huh. this was purely as a recreational lesson in between mm-hmm. my shamanic teaching that I did in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. was profoundly affected by this. Now, I think the audience needs to know that you do not have to have any kind of dance background because the impression was amongst the people who had gathered in the circle that the only way to really pull this off was if you were a dancer or a natural dancer. Mm, but that isn't necessarily yeah. the case. No, that's right. It's, it's just as anybody can, with a bunch of friends, you can sit together and sing a song together. It doesn't have to be of any professional standard to be able to enjoy it and also derive great benefits from it, you know, almost hygienic benefits. So yeah, anybody can do it. And actually, I've heard of it done even, there's a, a dear friend of mine who lives in Germany who's taking, a, she's already a eurythmist and doing a therapeutic eurythmic course. And she actually works with mothers now in their homes who experience all the, whatever the stresses of daily life and the tiredness sometimes or whatever challenges they go through. And they're doing a kind of eurythmy that you can do just sitting down, just with the arms and with breathing movements. So through very simple exercises, either whether it be sitting or standing, you can, yeah, you can experience it with great joy, actually. Wow. So then if, even yeah. if you have physical limitations, say an individual who may be handicapped or paralyzed, they can still yeah. reap the benefits of this. Absolutely. Actually, the village in which I now live, which is called Botten Village, it's a large Camp Hill community for, they're called Camp Hill communities for adults with learning disabilities. These are, yeah, they're agriculturally based and all that, but they have eurythmy groups for what they call the villagers, for the adults with special needs. So some of them have very limited movements or very limited social skills or whatever, or their own gifts or ways of doing things. But you can do it with them as well, of course, yeah. Have you it's worked with any nice. autistic? Uh, yes, I have. Not specifically in Eurythmy yet, but I, I do a lot of work with them, yeah. There's all sorts of... This brings us into the realm of Eurythmy as an art when it's applied in therapy. A lot of the work that is done, which can even be done with government employees in Germany or in even a pharmaceutical company... In Europe as well, Zaleda, you can apply it in a way that's therapeutic, that you just sort of move together socially. So let's say 
I'll give you an image, and this you can do with handicapped people as well. If you're standing in a circle together, let's say you have 12 people in a circle facing the center, and then every second person, let's say the first ones, you could call them uh, apples, and the next one oranges. So every second person is, you could call them, they're, they're an apple, or you say you're gold and the other is silver, whatever image you want to get. And the first ones will move in towards the center, towards their right, and then going around one person and coming, joining the circle again, and then continuing out around the back again toward, in the same direction, and then coming in through the next hole. And you can picture a sort of weaving that happens. Now, if this is done to, for example, a, a piece of music by Bach, like whatever music or even a, a poem where there's a gentle rhythm in it, then this fact of flowing in through one another and then going the other direction and then the other group taking over or even doing it at the same time in different directions awakens a certain social synchronicity, you could call it, for lack of a better word, or were you actually in movement, not just in thought, but in movement together, you can experience harmonious social relations. So just bathing yourself in this gentle movement and doing even very little with the arms, going slowly, which is not challenging at all for the head, but for the body is very healthy. You feel that it has a kind of almost a hygienic effect on everybody. You get a, a, a sense of well-being, first of all, but also what it permits you to do, it permits you to get out of your head so you can live things together socially, which make you live out something healthy in your body, which is really nice. So this you can, I've seen being applied, and I've done a tiny bit with uh, villagers or adults with mental handicaps, but you can do it with all sorts of people. You might have experienced a similar exercise in Oregon, I imagine. In Oregon, what we did, which was absolutely profound for me, was the woman mm -hmm. who was leading the session said mm -hmm. that she would show us how to actually form our own names. So she was. Ah, uh, yes. It was absolutely fascinating, and yeah. I have, to this day, remember it like it was yesterday, and it was incredibly profound. Yeah. Just hold your body, your arms and your legs, in a specific position based on the sound. And she was demonstrating with her own name, which was Hannah. So that mm -hmm. would have been two positions that she would hold, one for Ha and one for Na. Mm -hmm. And then she would go around the circle and show everybody what the position was for each of our names. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising to see your own name, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. never in, in a million years would have thought of how yeah. one would be able to physically describe the sound of your name, which is your signature, mm -hmm. your essence, mm -hmm. it's your resonance. So this yeah. is absolutely incredible. And what's interesting is that when you, this is a thing which we have to always remember with Eurythmy when we talk about it or when whatever, is that I hope people, not just on the internet, because you can find lots obviously on the internet, but ideally that people would be able to see some good Eurythmy. That's the best thing. So if somebody were to ask me, what's theater? What's theater? And you have seen movies maybe, but go see a play, you know? Because then you actually have the, the concrete experience of what it is. The experience of what you speak about of having seen your own name done in Eurythmy. 
I find that interesting because the there's something that's very striking at first, and it keeps on working in us even after four year or during my the end of my fourth year training. It's still something very strong for me that I realize that when we see the sounds of speech made through movement of a human body, you realize that actually these sounds have an objective nature and that you go, it's as if you reach beyond, you you are able to perceive the forces that act in our world. For example, if you do the sound for S, so if you start with your hand high up, and then you, you bring it in a straight line, really slowly down like going, and you go and you bring it down slowly, you feel the strength of a creative line or sound, and it's not just, uh, it's not arbitrary. That's the important thing, is that the sounds are not arbitrary, so that when your arms or your body is able to move the sounds of eurythmy that, that are brought to life in eurythmy, then you can see what's actually behind the world. So that when when a snake is, let's say, uh, going, a slippery snake is sliding on the road or something, (laughs) you actually see the force that is there, you know? Yeah, it's a healthy thing to look at. Well, and I think particularly when you're in an urban environment and you're completely disconnected from nature, so all of these natural rhythms that normally would have been completely tuned into, we are uh completely cut off from. So this is an opportunity to really tap into that in very profound ways that I have not encountered in in any other type of expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true, especially it's something that we should always bear in mind that for most of us who have to live in cities, that it's very far removed from, as you say, from the natural rhythms, but also what we can perceive in nature so that in a city, for example, you're constantly bombarded not by just the sounds of the cars or the billboards that also want something from you or whatever, but also you're away from the natural beauty and the healing that you can find in just being around trees who ask nothing of you in a sense. But Eurythmy, as you say, in a sense, it, it uh, as does all true art, all true art, you will get a feeling as if you're back in connection with your home, in a sense, which is related to this, this world of nature. The rhythms that are in nature, which we can find, I, I feel, in the diurnal rhythms, like in the day, for example, or in the week, something often happens in the week or monthly. You see that in the women's menses, for example, or in the yearly rhythm of winter, and the sprouting of spring, and the total sensorial glory of summer with all its flowers and fruits, and then the dying and withering in the autumn, that as well you can, again, connect with in eurythmy. But it usually does not come from working on it directly, but it will come through a poem or through a piece of music. So, for example, in a piece of music, if you have the pitch going, la da 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 Boom, boom. So when you feel this, la da 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 da, and imagine you start low, and then at the end of that musical phrase, la ba 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 ba, you bring your arms and your whole body up, and what is that? That's spring, in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. So if that would have been Mozart or Bach, actually the energy that is behind this surging of sap that we see in the trees nowadays or the flowers sprouting up, what is it doing? It's la-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Whereas in autumn, you could imagine it being like 
you know, something heavier and darker and maybe minor and bringing you more into yourself rather than into something outside. So eurythmia, in a sense, does bring these rhythms or these realities of nature to expression, but it's through the human experience of art in poetry and in music. Yeah. And it is but it's healthy, eh? Blending, yes, most definitely. And mm. do you find, given that it, this is a very visceral thing and a very much being in the moment, very mm-hmm. much like the, the power of now that Eckhart Tolle talks about, yeah. there are some people who do not find it comfortable to, to be spontaneous and to give themselves permission to release and simply allow those rhythms uh, to, to take over. How do you mm. overcome that with people who are very self-conscious and very much afraid of yeah. physically because they're shy? Yeah, or, or yeah that's right. Yeah. Depressed in terms of, of acknowledging their bodies. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of, especially nowadays, you know, with the influence of the media and magazines and all that, or even just being, not being used to use our bodies to express something beautiful, but our bodies are usually turned towards, well, thank God for most of the time, towards practical deeds, whether it be washing dishes or tying our shoelaces or putting something on the in the computer. Yeah, so how to overcome that? When there's a group of people what I feel is the more that I'm, my experiences, and this is mostly with teenagers so far, is that the more that I'm really into it, let's say into the piece of music, and even if I know it deeply, I've worked on it for years, it doesn't matter if I can, again, be really, really connected and with how that particular pianist will play it or how that speaker will speak it then the more I'm into it, the more I'm able to help them experience it and just have joy from it. But also, it's knowing who you're dealing with. (laughs) Your question is one of pedagogy, in a sense, eh? so that if you're really able to enter not just into, not only into really welcoming with warmth the people that you're working with, but also being really aware of details. So let's say if there's a woman called Mandy and you saw her last week and, I don't know, she her hair is a bit more frazzled this week or her clothes seem to hang on her with more weight or she might be lighter and seem to have more spring in her stuff. These are all details, I think, when working with children or with adults or with anybody to be really awake to and to be interested. When a, a student asks a question the answer should be brought. Ideally, we'd be able to really go into our own hearts for the answer, you know, to really be, oh, what is it from my experience? And not, if you can't answer, you don't answer, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. obviously. But the biggest thing as well is, again, you trust the music and you trust the poetry and you just live it. And the more you just move together, you always start with something very, very simple, especially with a lay eurythmic class that people can easily go into and that's not technically demanding. The other thing which will help, and this is with the for getting people into experiencing, is that in the totality of the lesson there should be a breathing. So that in eurythmy, for example, you might do something which will bring you really into expansion 
um, out into the open, and then which will really bring you into physical contraction, bring you really close and into yourself. And then other exercises should be very social, where you're not focusing on yourself, but it's really the space between you and the other people partaking in the course. And other aspects will be where you want it to be. Sometimes you want it to be really in the breathing of the heart and the lungs and how you can move your arms, so doing an alleluia or something. And then other times you'll be doing a really quick, difficult, fun thing with your feet with a poem like, one, two, three, four, five, I once caught a fish alive, for example. Mm -hmm. But pointing your your toes in in quick directions and a five-pointed star or something. So all this will help people in themselves to live into the class if there's breathing. It'll help the totality to be more of a healthy thing. Yeah, there's one other thing which is related to that, and that in relating to the poetry and to the music, which is always our guide and which we can trust, especially from the Baroque, classical, romantic age, there's some modern poetry that is also really good, but it tends to bring you more into your head. Ideally, with Eurythmy, a lot of the time you want to bring people who are nowadays so up in their head, ideally they can go down and live into their bodies and into their hearts more, so that you actually have what Rudolf Steiner talks about when he speaks about the speaking feet and the singing hands or arms and the sensing head, so that the head is there to perceive in Eurythmy, not to think things out, but to perceive, to hear, and to perceive through our eyes and the other senses. And then our feet, funnily enough, are there to speak the poem. You actually speak in the way that you move about in space together. And then the arms are there as this middle point, this breathing between the willing and the sensing in the lyrical or in the breathing of in and out. And this is where you can also experience the relations between people. So if we can get people in the classes to get out of their thinking or conceptual activity and just to breathe down a bit into their hearts and into limbs, that can usually help people get away from their self-consciousness. Yeah. That is hugely significant now, particularly... Uh, given that our society rewards responding from a rational perspective and uh, tends to deny emotion. And uh, a lot of people are burying and repressing that, and and there are physical consequences to that. Yes, yes. And the the physical consequences, it's um, not only will they be in somebody's own life where there's a certain sclerosis that can happen in the body or a stiffening, which some people do sport to move things a bit more or run, but also these things, just as eating like chemical foods and all that, are also passed down through heredity. So in not living so much in with joy in our bodies and in our hearting or a wholesome general existence, you actually make the bodily basis of our existence less capable of carrying the soul in a healthy way in the long run, not just for ourselves, but for generations. Yeah, that's a danger. 
Oh, indeed. It's funny that, that it's amazing to what degree in education nowadays they really, even from very early childhood, eh, that they they have computers in, in nurseries or in kindergartens. It's so sad because if you watch somebody else or even yourself, when you just examine the way what happens when we go to see a movie, I'm not at all, by the way, speaking against these technologies because they're essential and they're extremely helpful for the modern-day human being. So I'm not saying anything against these technologies, but nonetheless, it's important to be aware of the fact that when we are using screens, whether it be a movie or television or in front of the computer, that actually the body does extremely little, that all of the movement that we use, let's say even just in, in talking to each other or in cleaning or whatever it might be or gardening, all those movements are brought down the tips of our fingers, you know, whether it be on the mouse or on the keyboard or just sitting there completely placid in a way in front of the screen. Also, the eyes, you'll notice that they, they dilate and they close as, to, as regards how much light, like in movies, you can see it go uh, open or close, open, close. But the distance, not only the distance of things, because you're actually watching, it's like looking at a wall, essentially, so the distance doesn't change. But also the attention, if you're looking, whether it be at theater or you go on a walk, you're always, your own will unconsciously guides your eyes to looking at things close or further away or you see a fluttering bird over there or a person walking there or an old man and his red hat or your attention will be brought to look at different places. Movies will, all this work is done for you. So you sit there you're completely still, which is fine, but then actually the soul content is all poured into you without you really needing to do very little inside. Yeah, so it's totally even passive. though, mm-hmm, yeah, it's extremely passive. Yeah, but you're hopefully things like eurythmia or other arts and also other activities can be really beneficial. You know, it's incredible how strong the lure is of movies and TV. It's phenomenal because I I know, for example, like, oh, if I go for a walk in the evening and then you feel great after, you know, (laughs) and you've seen things, but it's incredible how like, ooh, a movie, (laughs) how how strong (laughs) the lure is. And I've never understood really why it's so strong, but I know that it's something that I have to be awake to. I think to, uh, to, yeah. to address that, a lot of people are so unhappy with their own lives that this is a form of escapism mm-hmm. where another drama is presented that may be uh, a little bit yeah. more exciting than what they're yeah. dealing with on, on a daily basis. So it uh-huh. compensates uh-huh. For, for what's perhaps not happening, or it's a way yeah. of escaping the stress and uh, a lot yeah. of the negativity that we're bombarded with. Mm. Yes. And unfortunately, from what I've been able to perceive in most television and movies, it's not the highest moral principles, wherever they might come from, that oh, are God, that are I brought worked. to life there, you know? Yeah. I've worked I'm, in the industry for 16 years, and believe me, I'm <laughs> well aware of yeah. what the codes are. <laughs> You're yeah. completely right on there. Yeah, that's it. So... um but it's nice to bring, it's really fun to see children, even in Waller schools, let's say they've just had a, a healthy math lesson or they're doing a math block and then they come to Eurythmy class and they've been thinking about history or being in pictures and then all of a sudden they can burst out into movement. 
and play, which is lovely. So that actually for children and for teenagers as well, eurythmia is at its most beautiful when the children are completely at play in it. It's like the most beautiful thing to see any human being in play, in real play. Let's say you're even playing chess with somebody. There's this moment of like, oh, ha, and you laugh and you're freed from the a grind of the, the weight of bodily existence, but in a very healthy way it can happen when this sense of play can happen in movement together for children. It's, I feel when it's at its highest. And play does not only mean laughter and sort of excarnation or something really light and happy. It can also be in the most intimate and deep and darkest minor soul move of like Beethoven Patetic, for example. Like you think of the da, 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 da. It's full of hope and longing and realities of the soul that somehow Beethoven was able to bring through a, a through an instrument, through piano. And imagine a group of students, of teenagers, I've seen this, not with this piece, but with other pieces. You have these guys and these girls that are in this really intense time of life where you have zits and you have, all of a sudden there's relationships and all their problems and your parents don't understand you and you don't like school and you're all in self-doubt and it's very difficult. And all of a sudden... They find a healthy and beautiful means of expressing and of living through their bodies these emotions and feelings, this soul content, and not only alone, but socially as a group. As a group, they can come to express that music. And this is very, very health-bringing. Very health-bringing. And not only for teenagers, like any kind of homeopathic medicine or therapies, you usually see the the highest impact on children and on adolescents because they're still so sensitive and moldable, you could say, as if it's clay that has not quite hardened. Their bodies are not yet hardened or completely manifested, so there's more impact. But regardless, it still has a very beneficial effect on adults most of the time. I imagine for some people, eurythmia is not the right thing, you know. That should be clear as well. From my perspective, you've tapped on a multitude of things that can't be emphasized too much. The whole notion of getting in touch with your own body, getting in touch with the rhythms of music, working in a group circle situation, all of those things tend to be completely dismissed where our day-to-day lives are concerned. So this is feeding a need that is very deep. And as you said, from an adolescent perspective, because our society does not have rites of passage unless you belong to, well, in the Aboriginal communities, they absolutely Mm -hmm. acknowledge these transitions. Mm -hmm. So this perhaps may be a, a, a direct consequence of a lot of this confusion and anger and frustration and doubt mm-hmm. is because this transition period is not being acknowledged except as something that parents find incredibly annoying. So mm-hmm. uh, tuning mm-hmm. in from an energetic standpoint, and have you found that you get people with uh, as a direct result of participating in these types of group dynamics, do they demonstrate some emotional spontaneous releases? Um, 
Yes, interesting. Um, definitely. I've seen that a few times before. It's happened to me myself, but I, I think that, you know what happened? Something interesting happened to me last autumn when I went up to Newcastle in England and I saw A Winter's Tale performed by the Royal Shakespeare Company of the UK. And during it, there's this one moment in the play where I realized that I was weeping. It was incredible. And not crying, like not sobbing, but where actually tears were just pouring down my face. And I was wondering afterwards, what is it that happened? Well, how did that happen exactly? I felt that my soul was, it was so beautifully done that my soul experience, my feelings and my thoughts and my will at that moment were completely devoted to experiencing the play as it unraveled. What was interesting to see was that the consequence of my feelings that Shakespeare has the, the soul go through if it's well done was the right feeling in that moment actually made my body cry, which was actually a very healthy thing at that time. I've seen it happen as well, well to myself or to others in Eurythmy where they're moving a piece of music. And this depends obviously on the pianist or the cellist or the violinist or the speaker or what have you. There can be very, very strong moments where you feel that something has burst through and either you laugh or you cry. Usually we tend to laugh together in groups. You go to a dinner party, and if it's a fun dinner party, then people will tend to laugh and not usually cry together, you know. Mm. That's sort of a social thing. But it does happen sometimes that people will cry. And this is something which is maybe a bit special during the Eurythmy training, that because your whole body and soul, your whole being has come to express objectively the poem and the music or the music is that it has to be clear of things. So you go through a certain washing of all of everything comes out in the wash. So if you had a problem when you were a child or something happened to you or this or that, it'll come up. It will come up sooner or later in a way that is sometimes surprising. Sometimes for some people it will be a total stress or aches in their neck, for example, you know. Mm -hmm. really stressed muscles. Other people, it might be that for a week or a week and a half, they're just that any kind of social interaction is very, very challenging. But these are all, we could say, side effects, healthy side effects of just going through a real complete growth, not just in our heads, but in our whole souls and in our whole bodies to be able to make the music or the poetry visible. So it's normal that when when you do lay courses, usually just as when you have a really healthy social exchange with people, you know, you might laugh or somebody might might be really touched, but it, it it's not infrequent that people react quite intensely. Some people it might take them years before in moving to Eurythmy that finally and when they do an L in Alleluia, which is sort of a a transformation or a, yeah, a transformation or a metamorphosis of the lower, more physical elements into something which brings life and light into things. The movement of the L does this with the arms. It has to be seen to experience, but will after years and finally doing that will actually affect them. They'll heal or they'll become more themselves, actually. Any art, hopefully, when either we experience it 
just looking at a painting or hearing music or looking at eurythmy. And also when we do it, hopefully it'll help to heal us, to become more ourselves. Yeah. Indeed, because we tend to be carrying a lot of baggage with us, and the more that we drop, the lighter we are. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's uh, karma and destiny, isn't it? Indeed. And thank and... God, who would like it otherwise, eh? There's, there's not a single problem. You know, there's not a single problem in my life that, that I haven't been able to look back on after I've healed or completely digested it and been able to say, thank God I went through that. I was a smoker for 10 years and I'm so happy that I was a smoker. You know, it was really difficult to become a non-smoker. And I went through the, the most varied uh, conflicts or challenges on on many levels to get through it you know but i'm so happy that i was and sometimes i wish i, was, <laughs> I still was actually you know? <laughs> but but it's funny that there was once this friend of mine who studies a lot of anthroposophy in ottawa very wise old man who i revere or deeply respect one of the people that when you when he speaks you listen to because you know that it will be valuable what he says um so I was listening to him talk about karma. This was in the context of a study group of anthroposophy. And he said, why would you want one of your problems to be taken away? He said, it's sort of like, imagine somebody was lifting weights and they wanted to develop muscles. And you said, oh, could I take the weights away from you? They would say, no way, put more on, please. And in a sense, that's what our attitude should be towards problems. So that when we are able to perceive something, in ourselves that we need to work on or that's just a challenge with somebody else or in ourselves it's great what an opportunity that's why we're here you know life is a school yeah thank god there's things like uh eurythmy or art or uh, anthroposophy or other spiritual movements as well or even religions that are there to help us we're never alone we're never alone well, that's truly a statement that I'm sure the audience would take great comfort in because quite often when you're in the throes of, of these tests and challenges, you can't see past them. And it is only, yeah. as you say, in retrospect that you can value the experience. But when you're in the storm and drang of the moment, then uh, something like Eurythmy can be a great tool to take you away from the drama when it becomes something that's overwhelming and you think that you're incapable of getting past. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if all the arts are also not a little bit like, um, whether it be prayer or meditative life, that there can be an easy tendency, let's say in, in prayer or whatever, however you want to name it, when you when you connect in your inmost soul with the divine, it's easier just to do that when we need it. But I wonder if it, in always connecting ourselves with that, that actually we're not then more useful as, as people. What I'm saying is that when we should, yeah, we should see these arts as something like, you know, when you put on that CD and you're like, oh, I'm feeling down today and I want to listen to this piece of music and it makes you feel better. But that actually, even when, let's say we're having a really good day and like, okay, what today could I do to make my life a bit more challenging? God hasn't given me a problem today, but maybe I can find one. <laughs> or, it sounds a bit a bit funny to put it that way, but uh, yeah, how how can I actually 
make myself grow because most of our growing in life happens through destiny or karma that something difficult happens and in overcoming it we've gone a step further very wise people i've seen have been able to take on their own learning in a sense that they consciously say okay so here i am a person on the earth amidst all these other people and in the in this world of nature and in the cities and how can i not wait for the outside world to bring something on me that I develop, but that I take it on myself. And you know, Eurythmy training, in a sense, for me has been, and thank God I love Eurythmy, but has been an opportunity to be able to grow in this way, that in devoting myself and working on the art, and for others it might be devoting themselves to a science or to any kind of spirituality, or it can be in, in any field really, but in really going through it, through inner freedom and initiative that you actually grow and learn. I actually came upon a study that huh? indicated it was actually a nurse who was trained in Eurythmy, and uh, I happened to mm-hmm. come upon it in a different context uh, because it, she was treating a boy who was the son of a producer, and because I was in, in the film industry, I was actually looking at it from okay. that perspective. But this child uh-huh. had uh, serious attention deficit issues, and instead yeah. of opting yeah. to medicate the child, which is what a lot of frustrated yeah. parents who are mortgaged up to the eyeballs and both working long yeah. hours to try to make ends meet and uh, provide for the family and keep a roof over one's head, this yeah. nurse was doing the eurythmy with the child, and as a direct mm-hmm. consequence, the attention deficit issues were completely gone. The child could focus, was calmer, did not have temper tantrums, anger issues, was completely at peace and found a space that literally uh, play was encouraged, time was dedicated to this boy, and uh, mm-hmm. there was an absolute transformation. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I believe it. It's obvious that when we work, the, the link between the soul and the body as we are on the earth, if, if our spirit, if our reincarnating spirit is always, in a sense, there's the hereditary from our parents, we get our body and the spirit that is coming down, having come from the spiritual worlds and the beings and then finally touches upon or links itself with a specific body through incarnation and between those two what mediates between those two one way of looking at it is our soul now if the soul in either in the education or in the way what destiny has brought the child through its upbringing through its fruit through whatever it might be if that is not harmonious then you get you tend to get a nervousness or it can be a sluggishness, it can be all manifested in many sorts of ways. But ADD in that, in that sense can be, from what I can imagine, could be healthily helped with eurythmy. And that what it does is your soul comes to be incorporated into your body through poetry and through music and through sometimes working on very specific sounds in the alphabet through the body. Mm-hmm then the soul can be more in the body. So it doesn't surprise me that it would have been very successful. It's something to look at, I think, that for, um, yeah, that therapy should, we should look more at therapy. Nowadays, the, as we know, the medicine is usually just used or the, with the, the stronghold of pharmaceutical companies. And unfortunately, many doctors being under their spell, so to speak, is that you get a lot of 
people just getting medication for problems, but there's many other things that you can do, and it can even be music therapy or painting therapy or eurythmy can be uh, very, very healthy as well. It can even be for a certain child just to do gardening, to get into using his body to making a space more beautiful, to paying attention to the details and actually working on them with his body outside in the soil. Yeah, the whole area of eurythmy therapy, I can't say much about because I'm not trained in that area. I have experienced it as a patient for a while to treat things with sleeping a little bit. I'm not an authority on it by any means, but I can see how it could be beneficial, though. Have you uh, experienced through your own uh, training in, a, in these group dynamics, is the response different from a gender standpoint? Yes, in a way it is. As, we, as you can see, just physically, the male body and the female body is different. Even the, where the center of gravity is, that's something that's quite well known, that for the woman it's a bit lower down and the man it's mm-hmm. a little bit higher up. And also, not thereby, but there's something also which is very... And this, many people might think that it's only a question of socialization, and sort of enculturation, you could call it, some of which is a part of that. It's very, it's accentuated through that, as we know, as feminists help us to see. But that there is also aspects in the soul life which are different, not because we want them or force them to be, but just because of the fact of living in the body differently. You can see even that the male, in a sense, is almost, if there's a, a perfect balance of incarnation of the soul being healthily in the body the man is almost too much in his body he falls almost too low you know and you hear this in the 12 year old who suddenly loses his voice you know or <laughs> his voice goes lower and you and the woman in a sense is almost not incarnated enough it's like not radically you know but that there's a certain there's a difference that, which is apparent to any can become to any just healthy observation of the human being so that even when you're dealing with teenage girls or teenage boys, almost whatever the culture, you'll be able to feel that there's a very different approach socially or a social awakening which happens on a very much deeper level and much more quickly for the girl than it does with the boy, for example, who might only realize that there's other people around at like 23 in in the way that the woman might do it. But so therefore, what I've seen in our group, like it would be better if a woman would be able to speak for herself, but is that I notice that what seems to be more important for the woman is that what comes to be more apparent is being able to move harmoniously with the other individuals so that the space between us is more harmonious. Whereas with the man, what seems to happen is that his individual movement and the beauty of his own movement will at first be more important. Now, of course, any like healthy or artistic development will demand that both become equally important, that the individual can really, as an individual, express the music or the poem, and then also in relation to the others or with the others that it really becomes apparent. But that's one thing that I've noticed that's a bit different.
I don't know if that answers your question, though. Indeed, but, uh, it does. The, yes. Yeah. And uh, with the time remaining, Marc Antoine, yeah. if you had an opportunity, based on on reflections on your personal experience with the educational system as it exists, and having had reaped the benefits of a Waldorf education, which is profoundly mm-hmm. different from public education, what would you suggest as a way of reevaluating the curriculum and perhaps incorporating this in into the system that currently exists for the vast majority of the population? Yes, that's a very important question you're asking. Um, As a fundamental principle, I believe that the most important thing in education is that we really learn to know what is a child and what it is at different ages of its growth. From my experience, I have only been able to find this in anthroposophy or sometimes through Krishna Murthy's um, observations or some others as well, but that really learning to know what the child is and in every moment, so that even if we have an idea that around the age of seven there's a certain difference that that happens in the child the child uh, loses its child's teeth and all that and it it is in a different social relation to the other children we'll see that one day to the next a child will be different so that actually not an outer curriculum whether it be a really healthy Waldorf curriculum to be inspired from but that really within your own heart you're able to create experiences for the child that will awaken it to its own humanity and that we don't rush it. Just as the the laws of the growth of a plant will be one of rhythm, if you ever see a plant grow, sprouting leaf by leaf with its roots embedded in the earth and receiving nourishment, its leaves open to the sun which comes back in rhythm, all this is also in a sense with the child that we have to not rush things but bring things rhythmically to them. The important thing in education is not what you teach or even that important question of when you teach it and how you teach it. So not just the what and the when and the how, but it's who the teacher is. Who are we as teachers? Because in the end, what you will bring to the student will be, in a sense, it is how you have been able to live and incorporate what you want to bring. The child wants a human being in front of them. It doesn't want a curriculum. It doesn't want a PowerPoint presentation. It doesn't want something Mm -hmm. pre-prepared, whatever it might be, but it wants so that even those drawings, you know those... uh, Walt Disney drawings or wherever it's from where you have a, a black outline and you fill in the, the colors, you know? Mm. You know what I mean? That's a perfect yeah. example where you're trying to fit into something rather than creating out of yourself. And that's the same thing for every teacher and even for every parent out there. There's millions of books and websites and everything, but it's who you are and how you're able to create out of yourself for the child that's under your care. That's what's important. And who you are, I believe, 
is really dependent on the underlying spiritual life that you have as an individual. So that if you choose, for example, to unite yourself with a being called Michael, or with an angel, or with what you understand or feel as being God, or of the all-encompassing spirit, but that you regularly make efforts to work with yourself on your soul and making your life healthy, then that, in a sense, is the first thing that the child wants. Because then whether you're teaching history or geography, whether you're doing eurythmy with them, it'll be who you are that's important. Having said all that, it's a good thing to look at Waldorf education. Because <laughs> in that I found very healthy curriculum. It's not just what you bring there, but it's when you bring it to the child. And that's, that's of essence. Oh, I can't think of ending this conversation on a, on a better note than that. We <laughs> everyone to reflect because we all, as adults, are role models and in one way, shape, or form, teachers because children are observing. And I think it's also a yeah. matter of remembering that part of us is still a child and perhaps the way to connect with children is remembering yeah. what it's like to be one. Yep, that can be helpful. Yeah, go play outside in the mud, that's right. (laughs) Yes, giving ourselves permission to play is a huge Mm. part of the the healing process as a collective, I think. Uh Marc-Antoine, where are you going to take yourself with these studies now? For those people who may be interested in taking up Eurythmy or or Mm -hmm. perhaps arriving at a point where they end up teaching, what would you advise or recommend, and how would they be able to get in touch with you? If someone's interested in Eurythmy, the best thing is just to either go watch some, which you can find posted um, on the web, or to go do some lay classes yourself, and that they can find themselves. If someone's interested in doing a training themselves, one thing I can really recommend is that visit as many schools as possible and try to find your teacher. Because there might be a school even where the students that happen to be there you don't connect with or whatever, but even if there's one teacher that you feel, ah, that's a person I really have to learn from, that's very important to listen to, I think. And it's uh, interesting to see what, obviously, the founder, or the one who brought anthroposophy or spiritual science, Rudolf Steiner, has to say about it. So I can really recommend reading his stuff. Okay, A wonderful school in, because I imagine lots of your audience is from the States, is that correct? Or oh, North all North? over, actually all, all over. All over, okay. Yep. Spring Valley is a lovely school, a really good eurythmy school if people are interested. That's in New York State, about an hour from New York. But. Okay. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Yvonne. Oh, thank you, Marc-Antoine. It was yeah. an absolute pleasure and, and a very eye-opening and inspiring and mm-hmm. made my heart sing talking to you. <laughs> well said. Hey, great. Well, have a have a great day. Same to you. Thank you so yeah. much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure. Since I last spoke with Marc-Antoine, he has dedicated his life to making certain that the benefits of Eurythmy from a therapeutic standpoint are shared with people in the medical community. He is now based out of Germany and is conducting online workshops for professionals to benefit the collective. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast to support our efforts to continue bringing you this information and have a look at my YouTube channel as an addendum 
the link of which will be found in the show notes. Until we meet again across the veils, breathe in this beautiful music and have a lovely day.